0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, an underwater mystery about a misunderstood whale.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices We were um, eight nautical miles due south-west of the tip of Sri Lanka. Myself and my dive partner, Andrew Sutton, had been diving that morning with a megapod of sperm whales, about 150 sperm whales.
1: Philip Hoare is a writer and journalist who specialises in whales. He spent many hours of his life in the water observing the animals and being observed by them. In 2017, he was diving with a group of sperm whales, and there was suddenly some drama in the water.
2: Suddenly, about 30 of them detached from the main pod of the whales and started travelling quite swiftly towards the north.
1: And so, in their tiny fishing boat, Philip and his colleagues follow the whales to see what all the fuss is about. And he sees them doing something he's never come across before the sperm whales clustering together in small groups. And as he gets closer, he realises why they're doing it. They're being hunted by two pods of orca, sometimes called killer whales. And the sperm whales are bunching together to protect their young.
2: These orca were diving underneath the whales to try and get at the calves. And the whales were defending themselves by using their very powerful tails and also defecating, creating a cloud of obscurity to keep the orcas sort of off their toes, as it were. The next three hours, we watched this amazing drama play out.
1: The sperm whales' tactics work. The orca can't get close enough to their calves. They eventually get tired and swim away. And Philip, in his little boat, follows behind them. And that's when it happens.
2: They started circling our boat, closer and closer and closer, and then rammed it at least five times. And this is a tiny, tiny little fishing boat. There's no... Don't even have uh, life jackets or anything. You know, a long way from any help.
1: What were you thinking, Philip, as these, like, huge mammals are driving at your, by the sounds of things, pretty small and, and vulnerable fishing boat?
2: I was tremendously, tremendously excited. And I was tremendously, tremendously afraid. I have in my back of my head... This mantra that you're told, no orca has ever harmed a human in the wild. Well, I was just thinking, maybe that's because no one survived to tell the tale.
1: And then as suddenly as the commotion started, it was over.
2: They just left us. And the, the thing about whales is, is that they can leave a situation very quickly and they're just gone. You're kind of left wondering what was happened to you. And it was only when the scientist who was on board with us, pulled up his hydrophone, his underwater microphone, and it had been bitten off. (laughs) So you kind of realise what a lucky escape maybe we had. Philip's
1: encounter with orca off the coast of Sri Lanka is incredibly rare, but here's the thing. Since about May 2020, the number of these incidents of orca-ramming boats, biting off parts of vessels, even sinking yachts, has, in parts of the ocean off the coast of Portugal and Spain, gone from a handful of encounters to hundreds, literally hundreds. And nobody knows what's driving this behaviour, but they have theories. Theories that take us deep into the minds of these incredible animals, raising new questions about how they see us, and uncomfortable ones about how we see them. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, what's behind the orca uprising? Philip, your experience is extraordinary, but these days it's increasingly less unique. Tell me about some of the different incidents we've been hearing about involving orca.
2: So, what's been happening since 2020 has been a series of separate incidents, mostly off the Iberian Peninsula, so off the coast of Portugal, but particularly concentrated in the Strait of Gibraltar. And we've long known that there's a a very tight and quite well studied population of orca there. But in the past two or three years, there have been hundreds of incidents. We lost both rudders where they have intervened with mostly leisure craft but sometimes other fishing boats mm. what's happening is that they are ramming the boats then going further and interfering with the rudders often the rudders and biting them oh my God. Bit, bit. and in three instances have actually sunk vessels wow
1: Recently, we learned that this behaviour that has mainly been exhibited in the Iberian Peninsula may actually be spreading.
2: So, Towards the end of June, a report came in of a yacht which was sailing out from Noack in Shetland, bound for Bergen, so far North Sea, which received the same treatment from a lone orca, circled the boat, rammed the hull, I think was trying to interfere with the rudder, swam off, and then came back and started circling the boat again. So this was not just like an accident; it was very much a deliberate interaction. What's amazing about this is that we're two thousand miles away from the Iberian population, the, the Portuguese and Strait of Gibraltar population of Orca, and there's no known interaction between those two discrete populations, but somehow. This behaviour is being communicated to other populations of orca. How
1: unusual is this to be seeing not just a few interactions between orcas and people, but you say hundreds of them in the past few years?
2: It's very unusual. The figures speak for themselves. 29 incidents, that's just this year, and those are the ones that are only, only the ones that are documented, and that, that's confined to 15 animals.
1: Before we get to what might be driving this unusual behaviour, tell me about orcas. You've had the privilege of diving with them many times. I mean, what do we know about this species?
2: Orca are very successful animals. They're very culturally advanced social animals. They're present in every ocean around the world. They have this utter beauty when seen, especially through Clear tropical waters, they're so graphic, the kind of shiny, glossy, black and white markings of the orca are so distinctive and so visible through the water. They look almost robotic in the way they move. Most orca pods are quite small. They're sort of family-sized, you know, five or seven animals. So they travel as that group. They have extremely well-defined and clearly expressed culture which is expressed specifically in their vocalizations which consist of all sorts of whistles and clicks like dolphins specifically like bottlenose dolphins they have signature whistles which act as quotes their names
1: well wow, so they have like a unique way of identifying each other
2: Yeah, because they have these whistles, they will identify themselves by their own whistle, but then use another animal's whistle to call to them. They will signify, yeah, look, we're gonna go into this, you know, hunt. You stay there and I'll go this way. We're pretty sure that each pod almost has its own dialect. Scientists have spoken about whales culture exhibited in oral tattoos, as it were, the way that you would identify someone else by their haircut as being a goth, for instance. So there's kind of stylistic aspects to this, which are definitely cultural. An orca feels the way another orca feels through the water. So they can echolocate one another's bodies. They can tell how they're feeling. They sense another orca is angry or if it's... In the mood for mating or whatever. And you feel that when you're in the water with the animals, they are completely in contact with one another all the time. <laughs> it's their internet, you know, it's their WhatsApp group, basically. And they are completely in connection with one another all the time.
1: What do we know about the way that humans? have traditionally interacted with this species?
2: It's interesting because the orca is at the heart of the interrelationship between human and cetacean, the group of whales and dolphins. The whale changed according to what we wanted it to be. So the whale started out as part of creation myth, you know, Genesis and the Quran and many indigenous creation myths. The Maori people believe they came to New Zealand on the back of whales. They were probably actually following migratory routes of whales. But then when that became an economic exploitation with the industrialization of whaling, as early as the 16th and 17th century, they were seen as part of man's dominion over the world. This was a resource for us to use. As I pledge
0: myself death to
2: Moby Dick. And then, of course, Herman Melville writes Moby Dick in which the whale becomes some strange emblematic modern dragon to be pursued. Mm. But then the 20th century, when people start to really realize how appalling this is, that the fact that in the 20th century, three million great whales were slaughtered in the Southern Ocean of Antarctica and South Georgia, and the popular reaction and very much the early environmental movements were based on the whole Save the Whale campaign. There are not many whales left. We are asking that you stop. For the benefit of your children and grandchildren as well as ours which was itself given voice by the recordings of Humpback Whale songs uh, made by Roger Payne. releasing those as a final album in the charts gave the whale a voice you know and an animal that been unable to protest its abuse suddenly had a voice. And then at the same time, orca were being captured and being exhibited in in marine parks.
0: This is SeaWorld, where imagination and the ocean's wonders create an unforgettable day.
2: So they became entertainment. And the orca particularly took that role because it's kind of almost cuddly. It is like an overgrown dolphin. It's not scary like a sperm whale or weird like a humpback whale, it's almost a cuddly toy. And then
1: we'll start over again, then we'll see if we can go for the one
0: where you fly out of the water. The behaviour evolves through a series of small steps called approximations. The first step is simply to push the trainer, Ted
1: Turner, to the corner of the pool.
0: She likes, she likes pushing anyway. At the corner, I just a wondered, small whistle is blown, called a bridge. bridge. Good. That tells the animal, the
1: yes, you've done it correctly. And unlike humpback whales or sperm whales, orca have the misfortune of actually being able to survive in captivity. They can keep living in a tank. But what actually happens to them in those conditions?
2: Many listeners will remember the film Blackfish, which was a kind of expose of what had happened in marine parks in the U.S., where whales had become apparently psychotic.
0: We need SO to respond for a dead person at SeaWorld. A whale has eaten one of the
2: trainers. A particular whale named Tilikum actually dragged their trainer to the bottom of the pool and and drowned her in what seemed to be a premeditated action. You can see that an animal is being driven to um, what we would describe as mental illness and traumatised by captivity.
1: Philip, all of that brings us to this behaviour that we've been seeing lately. And there are a few theories on what is driving this absolute surge in interventions by orcas on human vessels. And we want to go through some of them. First is the idea raised by some that this behaviour is aggressive, maybe even a kind of revenge. Why do people think that might be a possibility?
2: I think they construe it as revenge, partly because it it ties into a a narrative about the abuse of these animals, which the least compassionate person would see that we have ill-used cetaceans in the past 100 years, if not for much longer. So the sense of these most intelligent of whales as somehow becoming really aware of what humans have done to them. An orca can live to 100 years old. Now that orca would have witnessed the changing of their environment from a relatively quiet environment to one which is dominated by seismic oil surveys, military sonar, but most especially commercial um, shipping, which creates a constant din, a constant din. For these animals who live in a world of sound, that impacts their immune system, it impacts their social connections.
1: Does it change the way that they behave to have so much competition as they try to communicate with each other?
2: It absolutely does. The lockdowns really prove that. Scientists recording vocalizations of whales off the US coast specifically where commercial, but most especially leisure craft, had stopped using the water, the animals stopped shouting. They stopped shouting. So we know from that fact alone that they're having to exist in tandem with Human activity, which is, must be coming now really onerous for them. And then plus the, the pollution of their environment, they're going to be aware of that. North Sea is one of the most polluted seas in the, in the planet. In fact, it's inhibited the um, resident population of orca around the UK from having a healthy calf for about 10 years now. They haven't given birth to healthy calves.
1: God, that's astonishing. It's been a decade since a healthy calf was born in the North Sea.
2: Yeah. I mean, these are incredibly sensitive creatures. I mean,
1: one of the interesting things about this whole mystery, Philip, is that you said that incidents between orcas and people have surged since about May 2020. And I'm trying to think back to what was happening back then. And it was the lockdowns. It was basically the end of the most acute stage of, of people having to stay at home. And I wonder, like, have people explored the possibility that this could be the result of the Orca experiencing silence and peace for a brief moment, only to have it ruined all over again?
2: I think that's absolutely a possibility. People I know who down in the Strait of Gibraltar area the increase in leisure craft since the lockdown has been really intense. And as you say, so they'd gone through this period where suddenly everything was quieter, and then suddenly there's so much traffic back there. So yeah, I I think that's definitely a possibility.
1: Hmm. You said to me that so much of the way that we view Orca through history has really been about us rather than them. It's us projecting our own emotions onto them. And When we say that this behaviour might be driven by revenge, I wonder if we're making the same mistake, projecting the guilt we might feel about the way that we treat the environment onto these animals and whether the real explanation for this behaviour might be something more banal, like maybe they're just playing in a way that is unfamiliar to us. Run me through that theory of what might be going on.
2: I think it's clear when you see... There's been some rare footage at the end of June of a yacht race going on in the Iberian waters, and you see the orca interacting, they've used an underwater camera to film it. The way the orca is interacting with the boat is intelligent. When they're doing the stuff with the rudders, which is the stuff that creates damage to the boat, the whale is behaving almost like a puppy and investigating the rudder of the boat in a way. What can, it, what can it do with it, you know? So if you think that maybe these are the younger members of the group with their parents watching on, possibly their mother or their grandmother, and they're probably, you know, demonstrating what they've learned from their mother or grandmother.
1: And I guess one of the reasons why we suspect these incidents could be a form of, of entertainment, a, a display of curiosity, is that if these orca really wanted to hurt us, as you experienced, they could.
2: Absolutely. Many people have seen orca predating seals in Blue Planet. They do these things very efficiently, very efficiently. When they focus on you and decide that you are, you are lunch.
1: Coming up, whether it's revenge or play humans and whales are coming into contact more often than ever. So what do we do about it?
0: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by Help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today in focus today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash today in focus.
1: Philip, you've taken us through the different theories of why orca might be behaving the way they are. The idea that it could be revenge, and then the idea that it could just be a form of play. And the thing I'm wondering is whether we expect this surge in interactions between orcas and people to increase over the next months and years.
2: I think it will increase. We're seeing it Happening sort of just in these past few weeks. It's accelerated it seemingly, partly because, of course, it's summer, so there's more leisure craft around. Yeah, and it's difficult to know what will happen. It may well be just a fad, and they just work through it. The orca works through it and then turn their attention to something else, you know. Because we know it's originated with a very tight, small group, 15 animals. You kind of see it in those terms, that you know, we've just discovered this and, hey, why don't you try doing this? And it's kind of fun. And so, yeah, it may just run its course.
1: But then what is the fact that we've seen the behaviour spread from the coast of Spain and Portugal to the far North Sea in recent weeks?
2: I mean, that spread of the activity 2,000 miles north to the North North Sea is really, really interesting. And... Dr. Conor Ryan, who's the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust, has been studying the orca population around Scotland. Thinks that there may well be sort of sharing of individuals, that some almost like rogue animals might be moving between the two parts, possibly. Hmm. And so communicating it that way.
1: Like an exchange program.
2: <laughs> yeah, like a, like a student, student exchange rally. Yeah. So, yeah, so there might be that. It's very difficult to tell because obviously, you know, we can't chart the, the movements of these animals very easily.
1: On some level, this is wondrous. It's so interesting. But then, you know, these animals have also sunk yachts, like potentially people's lives could be at stake in, in this revenge or, or play or whatever it might be. And so if
2: somebody asks what can be
1: done about it,
2: what do you think the answer is? Leave them alone. What are you going to do? You can't go and cull orca. That would be very difficult, and very, very unpopular. I think you just let it work out. It's been really interesting, actually. The yachts people who've been at sort of at the receiving end of orca this past few weeks, they just said, "Well, you know, we're in their world. You know, what can we do?" I guess
1: the other side of leaving them alone is what can we do to actually try to preserve this species and protect their environments
2: big impact that we have on orca especially but many cetaceans is sound Uh, especially commercial shipping which creates really devastating volumes in the ocean and can completely dominate the environment for a cetacean that's the one thing that we could really change. And I guess
1: until then we just watch and see if these incidents continue.
2: Yeah and I think To me and a lot of other people who are interested professionally in these animals, it's really fascinating. I mean, I know that it's kind of potentially dangerous, but it's really fascinating to see another sentient being with whom we share this planet really demonstrating that we don't call the shots all the time.
1: Philip, thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Thanks very much.
1: That was Philip Hoare, a writer and journalist whose latest book is called Albert and the Whale. You can find his piece Orcas are Ramming Boats Off the Spanish Coast Is the Whale World Rising Up at TheGuardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Cadenat and George McDonough. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we'll be back
0: tomorrow. This is The Guardian. tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out